Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to help yoga teachers transform their teaching by mastering the fundamentals of anatomy. By learning anatomy in my easy step-by-step way, you'll be able to confidently share it in your cues, easily create sequences, and you'll eagerly answer student questions. And all along the way, you'll increase your impact and earning potential. On the podcast here, you will hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, go ahead and visit barebonesyoga.com, my website, for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all that are there, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. And if you'd like, send me a one-line email with the answer to this question. What's your biggest frustration right now as a yoga teacher? And I'm happy to do some brainstorming with you in a free coaching session. My email address is karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get to today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, and as always, I am your host. Welcome to episode 202. So I'm recording this on August 25th, 2022. This will go live as they always go live on Mondays, Monday, 8, 29, 22. And I want to start out because if you're new to the podcast, you're realizing we're at episode 202. If you're a listener from before or maybe a longtime listener, Uh, You know, of course, that when I crossed my 200th episode two weeks ago, I mentioned that I was going to have a podcast party. And it's funny because I listen to other podcasts and I remember um, one of the ones I listened to, he had crossed his 200th episode or maybe it was even his 400th. And he just was like, okay, rolling on from 400 to 401. And I thought, oh my God, you've got to commemorate that somehow. So I had a a thought to have a podcast party, which I did do. Maybe you saw the invite. Maybe you were there. I did uh, did the event yesterday and I want to thank the yoga teachers who showed up live to be with me to celebrate the podcast uh, and the 200th episode. And while that was, of course, the reason for the get together, what I really wanted to do was thank the listeners. And I wanted to uh, share some topics from some of the most popular episodes. And I can tell which ones are really popular because I see the behind the scenes downloads on the statistics page for from my web host or from my podcast host. So I picked some of those topics and I went over them and we had some nice conversation and we had some good questions at the end. So it was really a lot of fun. So if you were there with me live, I want to thank you for being there. If you signed up and couldn't make it and you're asking me for the replay, I will definitely send it to you. And if you didn't even know this was happening or you saw the invite and you just, uh, for whatever reason, just didn't take me up on it and you'd like the replay from the podcast party, I'm happy to send it to you. So just send me an email or send me a DM on Instagram and I'll send you the replay. The topics that I went over from some of these episodes were mindset shifts for teachers, 
red flags in alignment. I went over some red flags. Um, I did a guided meditation at the beginning focused on um, anatomy of the upper body. And then there was another topic I talked about. It's escaping me at the moment, but when you uh, get in touch with me that you'd like the replay, I'll also send you the list of topics because each topic has with it the accompanying uh, podcast episode that it came from. So you can go back and listen to that episode in depth to get the full story on that particular topic. And in the party, I went over just some snippets about each thing. So it was a lot of fun and I'm super excited to have crossed over that uh, milestone of 200 episodes. And here we are at episode 202. So the other thing I wanted to mention is don't forget if you're uh, thinking because it's the summer, I'm not doing online classes. I am still doing my online classes. So always check the website. They're free. They're 30 minutes. That's the easiest way for you to find out when the next online class is and come to class. That's something that you always have available as a way to get your yoga practice in, to connect with me. You can bring some questions you have about teaching or anatomy, whatever it is. And I'm happy to stay after class and chat with you. And then the other thing I wanted to just let you know about is I'm really committed to posting pretty much daily on TikTok and Instagram. And so if you're already on those platforms, scrolling through your cat pictures and your horse pictures like me, uh, you can integrate some learning as well. And so when you pull up my page, Bare Bones Yoga, on both of those platforms, you'll see lots of videos. And it's really, really interesting for me as a teacher and as an anatomy teacher to think about how can I condense a lesson into 60 seconds and I'm doing it and I'm loving it. And so it's really not a huge investment of your time. And yet you can really get, especially if you scroll through a bunch of them, you can really get a whole bunch of ideas for your teaching, maybe answer some questions that you have about anatomy and, you know, really sort of pique your interest into this idea of, gee, if I really got myself mastering some key concepts around anatomy, how could that really help me as a teacher? What skills would be available to me that I don't have now? And that's really what I want both of those platforms to communicate to teachers is just the, the real deep down value in truly understanding movement and how that can really distinguish you from other teachers. Because sorry to say, there are many yoga teachers teaching yoga that do not understand anatomy. And yet they're sharing anatomy-based cues, they're answering questions that students have after class, they're building sequences. And at the end of the day, you know, is it gonna be the end of the world for the students in their classes? No. However, if you wanna be teaching in a way where you're really making an impact, you're really connecting with your students, you're able to think on your feet, you're able to create sequences on the fly, you have confidence just oozing from you and you really are able to change people's lives along the format of giving them good solid cues and a good solid experience in yoga. You've got to understand movement. And so this is what really will distinguish you uh, out there in the world, in the industry. And um, so that's, 
in large part why I share this information on these platforms is because I want yoga teachers to see, you know, especially when I do different videos and I break down cues that they're probably for that you're probably familiar with. And at the same time, you've never really thought of what's the reason for this cue. And I get comments and private DMs from people all the time saying, oh my God, Karen, I, I've been using that cue and I never actually understood what the reason for that was. And so again, you know, don't dismiss the power of being able to share cues from what you know, because that's really where the magic lies, not only for you, but for your students in terms of you're going to have more confidence, your cues are going to land on their bodies with so much more clarity and impact. And it really can transform not only your experience as a teacher, but their experience as someone in your class. <clears throat> so having said that, those are the just some of the announcements I wanted to start out this episode with. <clears throat> and for today's episode, you know, especially because we're coming up to September 1st, which I always sort of think about as, quote, the other January 1st, because it's really sort of the other time during the calendar year where people kind of gear up, they set new goals. Of course, everything is sort of intertwined with sending the kids back to school or having kids go to college. Um, you know, I know one of my neighbors, for instance, has both kids for the first time out of college. So she's actually looking at September 1st as being a time for her to really embark on a new phase of her life because she's for the first time in 18 years, not going to have any kids at home. And so with the upcoming, you know, not really milestone, but, but, um, I don't know, target of September 1st out there, I thought this would be a good time to talk about good habits. I am a huge proponent of the power of building good habits. And I really think, I really, in my personal life, apply it as well as in my business life. It's something that I apply to how I manage my finances. It's something that I apply to how I manage my health, how I manage my appointments with all, you know, my regular physicians and eye doctor and uh, teeth cleaning dentists and all of that. It's how I manage um, the way I kind of run the house that I live in because there's just a bunch of different moving parts. You know, when Ben... Uh, and I moved in together in January of 2021. I moved from a really small apartment living by myself to living here in a bigger place with the two of us and a dog. And so there just are, I don't have kids, so definitely it's not like that. However, there still are a number of things that I have kind of taken onto my plate and he's taken onto his plate. And for me, it's really important that I have good habits built around doing the things that are meant to be done. And that allows me to keep everything in motion. And um, so habit building is really a discipline. And at the same time, it's really sort of an acknowledgement of yourself, because when you stick to good habits, it's a way to really value your time a way to really invest in yourself, especially if it is around habit building that has to do with your personal health and wellness, that has to do with your financial health and wellness. And here, of course, on this podcast, we're talking about yoga teaching, being a yoga teacher, being an effective yoga teacher, being a teacher of integrity. So all of those kinds of things are born out of good 
habits. You know, I'm a huge fan of the show um, America's Got Talent and America's uh, and American Idol. And, you know, certainly when I watch those shows, you know, there's plenty of young people, uh, certainly on American Idol, that step onto the stage. They are just like plucked from someplace in the world and they sing beautifully. When you watch America's Got Talent, there's no age limit. So you can see people singing or doing magic tricks or whatever they're their performance art is. And then they tell the story of how long they've been out there practicing whatever their skill is. And, you know, that's really a testament to having a good habit. You know, a good habit in that context really demonstrates just that tenacity, that stick-to-itiveness, that, that ability to stay on track and still invest in your craft, even when you're getting feedback that it's maybe not the right path for you, or maybe it's not going to work out, you know, deep in your heart that it is. And I know I've certainly had feelings like that about a number of different things regarding teaching. And yet at the same time, especially in the past number of years, I've just been so fully committed all in to helping yoga teachers transform their teaching by mastering these fundamentals of movement, which basically boils down to understanding key, key aspects of anatomy. And I'm so all in on that. The results that my teachers, that the, that the teachers in my program have gotten has just validated that for me. And so I have lots of good habits around how I manage that program, how I continue to invest in that program and make it better, how I nurture the teachers who are enrolled in the program. So I'm sure they're getting the best experience and the best outcome. There's so many habits around that aspect of, you know, I guess I can call it my business because it is my business, but it's really my passion. So I want to talk about habit building with you because it's, it's something that's completely available to you. And yet at the same time, if I asked you right now, what 10 habits do you have around your yoga teaching or as a yoga teacher, what 10 habits do you have that help you grow, that help you develop, that help you, you know, continue to excel? What would you say? So I'm going to give you, because I don't, you know, obviously you can't, you can't tell me right here because we're not in the same room, you know, but I wonder, you know, like, do you have certain things that you would say right off the top of your head? I do. <laughs> I could rattle off habits all day long for my teaching, for my finances, for my health, all the things I said in the beginning. And at the same time, I'm not like most people, you know, a lot of people and it's not a matter of um, being better. It's just, you know, there's, there's a certain um, commitment I have and I've made to myself to be uh, really focused on building good habits in a lot of different areas. And a lot of it comes from my parents. They both have really instilled this in me since I was a child. And I'm super grateful to them for that. And so if you're in a scenario where things have been different, maybe you weren't, you know, maybe you were not exposed to the value of habit building. Maybe you are just so busy and there's so much on your plate. It's difficult to set habits and stick with them. Whatever it is, I hope that as I go through this 
episode today, you'll be inspired to start building new habits. You know, I can, I can sort of give you a little bit of a, a personal story about this before I get into the list. And that has to do with someone in my life who's very close to me, who's been struggling with mental illness. And over the past several months, it's gotten really, really, really bad. Um, it's not, it's not my significant other, someone else. And, um, this is not a surprise because this is someone who has struggled with mental illness, you know, all of their lives. So I've, you know, watched the ups and downs and it hasn't been all down, although it hasn't been all up. And the reason I bring that up as an example is because when you are outside of someone who, you know, who is struggling with mental illness, you so much want them to be able to just build some habits because you know in your heart that once they start to do whatever it is, eat healthy on a daily basis, get out and go for walks every day, meditate, exercise in some way, you know they're going to start to feel better. But when you're struggling with mental illness on a clinical level, it's really hard for you to have initiative. That's part of the syndrome. Of course, depending on what kind of mental illness you have, that can make a difference. I'm just talking generally about depression. And so one of the most amazing things, and in my case, this person in my life has begun to receive some effective treatment. And so they're able to start to build some good habits. They have the, the motivation and the initiative and now we're starting to see some positive changes because, and the reason I share this story with you is because once you stick with having some good habits, momentum, and I think I mentioned that word a second ago, I've mentioned it on prior episodes because momentum is one of the most powerful um, scenarios or states of being for us as individuals. And we oftentimes sort of don't recognize that because we're kind of focused on the end goal. But remember, you know, even if you think about it in the context of losing weight or changing something in regards to your health, when you start to make positive changes and you see, or when you start to implement good habits, let's say around eating, and you start to see small changes, that's when you are encouraged. You have that sort of self-encouragement to continue forward. And it's not because you've lost, if it's in the case of losing weight, 50 pounds, it could be that you've lost two pounds. However, that momentum keeps you going, right? I mean, you've experienced that in your life, I bet. So whether it's you're saving a little bit of money and you have now the, the good feeling of, of what's attached to that achievement of starting to, to, to save some money and that pushes you forward to keep with the habit, you know, whatever it is, that aspect, that state of being of momentum is not to be denied and is super, super powerful. And it's what will give you the um, energy and the support and the motivation to keep with your habit, because you'll start to see the results, the fruits of your labor, the results of your habit. So having said that, I want to go through, I have 10 plus a bonus one, good habits for yoga teachers. So number one is continually update your vision. 
I really should have started this one by saying, have a vision. <laughs> and, you know, so there's the have a vision and then there's the continually update the vision. And this has to do with kind of the top level, the top level, what is your overall I sort of don't want to say goal at this point because goal falls underneath vision. Your vision is, you know, where do you want to go as a teacher? How do you see yourself as a teacher? What excites you about teaching? Where do you want to, how do you want to show up? What does it look like? It's kind of the big picture. And it's asking you to sort of set your stake in the ground right now, knowing that that stake may shift, you know, you're your overall vision may change over time. However, if you have no vision, it's really hard to take the next steps from a drilling down perspective and set, you know, annual goals and set monthly goals and set weekly goals because there's no kind of overarching driving vision. So that's a really good habit to have. For me, I have a vision overall. And because I write a weekly report and I've written a weekly report every single week since I started business for myself in 2010, I'm always in touch with what my overall vision is. But again, I'm not like a lot of people. <laughs> not a lot of people write a weekly report, especially when they work for themselves. I do. And that's one of the good habits that I have. And that's an important, a really important habit that I've developed in working for myself. And I would encourage you to do the same thing, even though I didn't put that on the list, I would definitely encourage you to do it. So number one, continually update your vision. Number two is to have a monthly teaching goal. So this might be around um, sequences, the kind of sequences that you want to offer. It might be around how many people you want in your classes. It might be around how many students you're going to reach out to after class to try to engage them in conversation. It might be, you know, something on the business side, maybe getting some private students on your roster. Whatever it is, it's having a monthly teaching goal, something that you're striving to reach on a monthly basis. Number three is to have a monthly educational goal. I sort of hate to use the phrase CEU, continuing education unit. Is that what it stands for? Um, because I feel like that just then gets us into this whole yoga alliance conversation, which is a different conversation. Keep in mind, a monthly educational goal can have nothing to do with yoga alliance. It could have nothing to do with something that's quote unquote a registered program with Yoga Alliance. It could be something outside the yoga industry. It could be something in research. It could involve reading a book, listening to a series of podcasts, going to a special program at a hospital or university, whatever it is. You know, if you're not taking steps to continually add to your knowledge, no one is going to do that for you. No one can do that for you. And you will continue to just sort of stagnate where you are. So, Always being and learning is one of the signs of a teacher who is, who is in integrity and who is out there to continually be improving. I would sort of put reading a book as last on the list because I feel like reading a book is probably the most passive way to learn as, as you can these days. There's so many more... Um, there's so much more enriching ways to consume information. I would even suggest watching 
the Huberman Lab podcast on YouTube and picking like six episodes about movement and hormones and bone density and all sorts of topics that are germane to us as yoga teachers. I would even say that is a better value than reading a book because reading a book, like sometimes you fall asleep, who knows how much you retain. It's just you and the author's voice and, you know, your interpretation of the author's voice. You know, if you're going to read a book and I certainly have had authors on my show here who have talked about their books and that's not to disparage their books or the, you know, I have books, I've written books. I mean, I'm not saying don't buy my books. What I'm saying is, especially if let's say for instance, some of the authors I've had on my show here, not just reading their book, also see what kind of educational offerings they have where they're in person. So I know all of the people who have been on my show that have written books on yoga related topics also have uh, webinars that they do, trainings that they do both in person and online. So those are the kinds of things I would always sort of leverage more than just reading a book. So that's a little bit about that. But the bottom line is have a monthly education goal. Number four. Each quarter, identify one or two new skills you want to develop. So number four, each quarter, identify one or two new skills you want to develop. Now, notice here I'm making a distinction between skills and education. Education and and getting more knowledge does (laughs) does not lead to skill building. Not all the time, and depending on who's giving you the knowledge, most definitely may not. I mean, there are plenty of workshops you've probably attended where you've left with 20 pages of notes, and at the same time, you have no idea how you're going to implement any of it into your actual teaching. That's one of the things, if I can take a sidebar here, it's a perfect segue, though, because that's one of the things that makes my program different because I give you both the knowledge and the skills. And the reason I do that is specifically because of this, because I know from my own experience, from the experience of the teachers that I've worked with in my program, that they've spent money on training programs where they've gotten knowledge, but not skills. So start to make the distinction, start to be a more discerning consumer of knowledge to not just be looking for the books you want to buy, the courses you want to take, the stuff you want to watch on YouTube, kind of look at it from a reverse engineering perspective. What skills do I need? And then from there, what knowledge is going to lead me to these skills? And that's a way you can do it. Now, certainly there are sometimes you're just going to, you're just going to get knowledge. I mean, I brought up the Huberman Lab podcast, one of my most absolute favorite podcasts ever. There are lots of episodes that I listen to of that show where Dr. Huberman is sharing information that I'm not going to directly use in building skills. However, it's still knowledge that I want to have. So yes, there is sometimes knowledge for knowledge's knowledge for knowledge, knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And then other times there's knowledge and skill building. And I think for us as yoga teachers, it's really, really important that we're always honing our skills. We're always adding to our skills. You know, we're being not judgmental, more so that we're just sort of being in a healthy way, critical of ourselves in terms of what skills don't I have that I'd like to develop. 
So that's number four. Number five, this is more of a bookkeeping type thing. Track every class you teach in Excel and on the Yoga Alliance website. I'll admit, prior to COVID, I was really not diligent about going to the Yoga Alliance website and entering my teaching hours. And since I began to teach online, I've really become super diligent with adding those hours to the website. So don't forget when you go on to your profile, you will have the ability to add teaching hours, to add, to add educational hours, and just keeping up with that just makes all of that so much easier. In addition, though, I really believe you should have a spreadsheet just an Excel spreadsheet where you track every all, all of your teaching hours. I use my Excel teaching hours spreadsheet as part of my tax um, calculation at the end of, not the end of the calendar year, but when I do taxes in, in January, February, March uh, with my accountant. So I send the CPA that as backup of all of the revenue I brought in from teaching. Uh, the other thing that you can use it for is your own internal review of revenue. So on a quarterly basis or whatever, monthly, quarterly, annually, it allows you to, in one place, track the revenue you're bringing in from your teaching. So you teach a class, you come home, you add it to, to your spreadsheet, you add it to your Yoga Alliance website, you're teaching online, you do the same thing. After you log off your class, you log it in both of those places. Number six, uh, this is more financial. Have a separate bank account for your earnings from teaching. Definitely do this. Definitely do this. When I went into business for myself, the first thing I did is I went to the bank where I have my personal checking and savings and I set up a business account. That was in 2009. And I've had the two, you know, I've had, I've had those accounts since. So you want to be sure that you're not just dumping your teaching earnings in with your personal accounts. You want to keep all that separate so you can track it. Uh, it's easier for tax purposes and a whole bunch of other reasons. And it really shows that this is not, even if you're teaching on the side and you have a full-time job, this just gives your teaching revenue kind of a, a little bit more of a serious, it's, it's, it's a, it's a job. It's, I mean, it's not a job like a job job. <laughs> However, it's something that you are doing as part of a professional skill that you have. And so I think having a separate bank account for your earnings really allows you to treat it with a certain amount of respect and care uh, that I really think it deserves. So that's something to consider if you don't have that in place. Number seven, this really just applies for people teaching in person. Arrive to your in-person classes 30 minutes before. So this is, you know, just having to do with being prepared to teach, being, you know, some of the just obvious being there on time, being able to help if someone that's supposed to check in for your classes doesn't show up, you know, being able to kind of mentally get in the space that uh, is appropriate for teaching, not being in a rush, you know, allowing some extra time for traffic and all those sorts of things. So that's just a good habit to get into. And it just will endear you to your coworkers, to your students, to, you know, the, the people who run the studio to know that they can always depend on you to be uh, there on time. And then number eight is related, stay after class to clean up and connect with students. You know, I always found it interesting when teachers would run out of the studio after class, 
you know, stick around. People are sometimes a little shy and sheepish and it takes them a couple minutes when they pack up their stuff to come up to you and ask you a question. So just plan on sort of hanging around and then help out with whatever needs to be put away so that it doesn't fall completely on whoever might be working for the studio. And I know for, for me over the years, I've had sometimes, you know, no one helping me. So I've done complete opening, complete closing. And so all of that was, was on me anyway. But even if you're in a scenario where there is someone at the front desk and there is someone doing behind the scenes cleanup, it's always just, just nice to stick around and clean up after your own class. Number nine, this one I sort of, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I sort of wasn't going to include this one, but then I decided I'll include it. Number nine, practice yoga and meditation regularly. Now notice I didn't say daily, uh, whatever regularly means to you. Now, you know, the reason I sort of hesitated is because I talked to a lot of yoga teachers over the years who really believe that practicing yoga is a way to improve their teaching. And I sort of don't believe that to be true. Practicing yoga makes you a good practitioner. It really doesn't help you teach. You know, sort of the last place for you to be drawing from when you're teaching is your own somatic experience of the practice. Because really that's just germane to you. You know, one of the skills or one of the hallmarks of a highly skilled teacher is someone who has the ability to kind of step outside themselves and present the instruction in a way that's sort of agnostic, right? It really can apply to anybody um, and doesn't really, it isn't really intertwined and attached to their own personal experience. Now, yes, there are definitely times that it can be powerful to drop in something about your own personal experience with a particular pose or whatever. However, I sort of believe that when we start to shine the light on ourselves, sometimes that can sort of take the students out of their own practice. Now they're sort of thinking of us, you know, if we say something like, I don't like this pose, or I love this pose, or I find when I do this pose, my hips are really tight. So you may blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I just sort of don't feel like that's of tremendous value. I think we'd be better off as teachers using those precious seconds to be sharing something that's framed a little bit more from the point of view of the student. Uh, and just sort of, again, just giving kind of neutral feedback, uh, coaching um, cues. So again, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but I really want you to think if you're thinking that your daily practice sort of checks the box around something like helping you develop as a teacher, I really, really urge you to, to examine that a little more closely because, you know, you're going to, well, I mean, even just think about when you began teaching, you probably thought because you had been practicing for a while that it was going to be easy to stand up and teach. And then you stood up just like I did, and you tried to articulate the practice. And all of a sudden it was a very different experience, wasn't it? It was an experience of, wow, I don't know how to actually say what I know how to do on the mat. And that's super common. So if that's been your experience, you're not alone. Um, and this just, again, speaks to, there's a real distinction between you as a teacher and you as a student. And, you know, again, your practice is your practice and should always be 
you know, kind of uh, nurtured and, and um, protected as your practice and shouldn't really be burdened with, oh, now it's also got to help you be an effective teacher, a good teacher. So have your practice be your practice, practice as much as you want, as little as you want, and consider the things that you need to do or want to do to improve as a teacher to be on a separate list. Number 10, read, this is going to sound like a contradiction, read one book per month. Topic can vary. So, you know, what I said before about book reading stands, especially if it's heavy with anatomical, biomechanical, and other type information. However, keep in mind, reading a book can also uh, involve reading other types of books. I wouldn't necessarily put fiction in here. I think reading fiction books is just for pleasure. Um, however, you know, read a book a month that's on something, something related to health or mindset or neuroscience or, or finances or um, dispelling limiting beliefs. Or, I mean, my goodness, there's so many sources of good information out there. You're listening to podcasts. Think about the people who are on those shows that you like their episode and go buy their book. I mean, that's how I get many, many, many of the books that I purchase. And I really try to read a book a month. So that's another thing that will, you know, really just be a great habit to develop. And another good way to identify books that are good to buy is once you make that list of the skills you want to develop, that's an, a really good way to kind of look for books that might support how, how are you going to develop that skill? And then here is your bonus habit. And this one, this one might touch a raw nerve here. I'm going to say it though. I'm going to be the person to say this. And so the habit is this only sign up for workshops and trainings online that you can actually attend live and show up live for. And the reason I'm saying this is because I've certainly noticed, you know, attendance at anything I do online has really severely dropped over the past six months. I've also heard that from a lot of people who are online creators, not in the yoga space. I've heard I'm part of an entrepreneurial group that has a number of entrepreneurs, actually has thousands of entrepreneurs all over the world that teach on all different subjects. And everyone's basically saying, you know, attendance at online webinars and online workshops has really dropped. And I know that there might be some sense of, you know, Zoom fatigue. People are potentially feeling tired of having to log online. And at the same time, people have really reintegrated in a lot of ways their in real life habits of going to work and being in the office and taking their kids to school. And so that impacts when they can be online. And I also know that people sometimes sign up for workshops knowing they can't make it and knowing that there will be a replay and definitely wanting to be diligent about watching that replay, especially if the workshop happens outside of your time zone when it would be the middle of the night for you. So all of those things withstanding. So if you're kind of like ready to throw your phone and swear off my podcast forever because you feel I'm picking on you, <laughs> don't do that. Um, it's just something to think about, you know, if you, if you truly feel like when you see a workshop, 
that's coming up that is virtual, if you truly, truly believe that the information that's going to be provided is of value, if you are available at the time the workshop is being held, why not show up live? I mean, the bottom line is being at a virtual event live is always going to be better than watching the replay because it's happening live. You're going to have a chance to ask questions and you're watching the person share the information in the moment. And it also is part of good habit building. The reason I included it on this list is because it's part of you showing up for something that you raised your hand to say, I want to be a part of this. And closing that loop is what it, and closing that loop demonstrates that you're acting in integrity to yourself. You know, it's the same thing if I wake up in the morning and I say, I'm going to go for a run today and I never go for a run. And I really did want to go for a run. And I really knew the benefit to my health of going for a run, but I got tired throughout the day. And as it got to be like three, four o'clock, I thought I really need to go for that run. And then by the time it got to be seven o'clock, I just said, you know, forget it. It's okay. Now, is that the end of the world? No. Is it the end of the world? If you don't show up for some workshop you signed up for? No. However, in my scenario, and again, maybe this is where I'm a little different from most people. In my scenario, I know I'm out of integrity because I said I would go for a run and I didn't. Now, do I beat myself up about it? No, of course not. It's just that I like to do things in a way that allows me to feel like I'm in integrity with myself. And one of the best ways that I can do that is to show up for the things that I say I'm going to show up for. And especially when it's something where I think I can gain value from it. I want to be there when it's happening because that allows me to check the box, close the loop, get the information, show up for myself, you know, get the knowledge, improve whatever skill I wanted to improve on. So it's just something to think about. I really think it is a good habit to build because it shows you that you will show up when you say you're going to. So that's the list. So I'll just quickly reread. Number one, continually update your vision. Number two, have a monthly teaching goal. Number three, have a monthly education goal. Number four, each quarter identify one or two new skills you want to develop. Number five, track every class you teach in Excel and on the Yoga Alliance website. Number six, have a separate bank account for your earnings from teaching. Number seven, arrive for your in-person classes 30 minutes before. Number eight, stay after class to clean up and connect with students. Number nine, practice yoga and meditation regularly, whatever that means to you. Number 10, read one book per month. Topic can vary. And the bonus habit, only sign up for workshops and trainings and classes that you can attend live. This is for online. And then show up. So in closing, I want to just give you a, just a additional piece of information here. And this sort of relates to this last topic. If you are looking for a way to practice regularly and, you know, you're kind of tired of going through everything on YouTube and finding classes, did you know that I have an online practice portal? And I have this, especially for teachers who are unable to make online classes, whether it's mine or somebody else's that happen live because their schedule just doesn't lend to that. These are all recorded classes. And the great thing for teachers is you can use it 
not just for your own practice, but you can use it to infuse your own sequence building with lots of ideas. There's practices on there of varying lengths. There's guided meditation. There's a research section. There's a journaling section. It's more than just yoga practice. It's also kind of a wellness hub with a lot of different things you can do to improve your health. Not really improve your health and wellness, though I think it would do that too, but support, support your health and wellness. And I created it with that in mind. It was built in the heart of the pandemic. And that of course was the initial motivator. However, over the past year and a half, I've added more sequences to it. And I actually give it for free to teachers who enroll in my blueprint learning program, my yoga anatomy blueprint learning program, because it's an important part for them, an adjunct to learning the uh, fundamentals of anatomy, that they have access to this as a resource, all the sequences, being able to look up sequences by type, by different focus on different body parts and different joints and things like that. So you can buy it anytime. It's just $99 and it's right on my website, barebonesyoga.com. You scroll down about halfway and you'll see the link to buy the Barebones Yoga Practice Portal. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode, episode 202. And I can't wait to chat with you again on episode 203 coming up next week and have a wonderful week between now and then. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page. And it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you want to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, 
then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus, sharing a little bit and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.